Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country. As they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hey friends, this is Adam Borneman with the Ministry Collaborative, and today I have the pleasure of being with a friend and colleague, Dustin Benack. He's a visiting assistant professor and co-founding director for the Program for the Future Church at Baylor Truett Theological Seminary, and particularly relevant to our conversation today, he is the author of a really interesting study that will be coming out very soon called Adaptive Church collaboration and community in a changing world. Dustin, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us. Oh, it's a pleasure, Adam. So good to be here. Dustin, tell us just a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and how you got to the role you're in now. Sure, happily. Adam, I'm a professor, practical theologian, and organizational strategist, and I love nothing more than supporting communities of faith who are navigating transition and uncertainty. I found my way into the space by navigating the space in between, in between disciplines, in between institutions, in between fields of study. And my sense was that throughout this work, in this moment, there's an opportunity to imagine new possibilities, new solutions in the space in between. As a practical theologian, I do interdisciplinary, contextually rooted research. And as a co-founding director for the program of the Future Church, we're trying to pilot solutions for the complex challenges that faith leaders face. Dustin, say a little bit about your particular approach to adaptive church. Adaptive is a word that I feel like is really important mm-hmm. and has been very important for us at the Ministry Collaborative in the way that we talk about church and ministry, but it's also a word that is in some ways fraught because it's used so widely in so many different ways. That's right. So yeah, that's right. tell us a little bit about the specifics of your study and your approach. So, I mean, as you guys know, as well as anybody, that the church is changing. It's changing rapidly, and it's changing in so many different ways. So the life of faith, if nothing else, requires learning how to adapt to a changing religious environment. And so the work of Adaptive Church was trying to explore how locally rooted communities of faith are adapting to uncertainty through collaboration, connection, and community. And one of the things that I did that is maybe slightly different than other approaches is I I rooted my analysis and my work in particular communities. Specifically, I rooted it in the Pacific Northwest, which is a context that has a marginal position for religious organizations, but also this history of religious entrepreneurship. To be a person of faith in the region is to be innovative. It's a constantly changing environment. And as a result, to lead in that context means you have to be nimble, adaptive, and innovative. Mm -hmm. And then, as we all know, COVID hit. And the project is a project that actually straddles the pandemic. It has pre-COVID data and post-COVID data. And we can certainly talk more about that in a minute. But the other thing that's distinctive about the project is that it actually looks for the source and the inspiration and the wisdom that can guide adaptability in the connections that surround a community of faith. So it actually looks at the spaces of connection and collaboration as the sites where novelty emerges. Most approaches to studying religious organizations and religious change actually focus on a single type of organization or a single type of actor. Mm -hmm. Uh, They oftentimes focus just on congregations or theological schools or nonprofits. And we need those studies. 
But my work actually tries to explore the points of connection where different actors from different types of organizations are meeting in response to the challenges they face. Uh, I call this the ecclesial ecology. Mm. So I actually tried to study and engage the ecclesial ecology where innovation is taking place and then develop this theological account of the conditions that support change. That's what I mean by adaptive church. Yeah, that's so intriguing. And I do think that's a unique contribution. Our team has seen and uh, written about quite frequently in the past few years, this evolving ecclesiology that is highly collaborative and local. It's sort of intensely contextualized, but that it's necessarily connected and, you know, sort of majoring on the majors and just Mm -hmm. finding valuable partners. And you make a really good point that there's not enough out there on how those relationships can be so adaptive, that most of the work out there on adaptive leadership, adaptive organizations, adaptive church, most of it seems to be focused on things like single organizational behavior and strategy and things like that. So I really appreciate your angle on it. Why don't you just share a few highlights from what you learned, especially given what you said about straddling the pandemic, because again, that's something else that we really haven't had in front of us is that Mm -hmm. something on adaptive, collaborative ministry that has navigated that change with empirical data to fall back on. Tell us a little bit about what you learned and what were the highlights. Sure. Well, the first thing is we're just talking about the pandemic is that the pandemic didn't introduce entirely new or novel challenges for these communities of faith. It just surfaced existing fragilities. I asked leaders before the pandemic, what are the challenges you face? And they, you know, identified a catalog of challenges, relational engagement, loneliness, post-Christendom, navigating transitions, partnership. And when I circled back in the wake of the pandemic, people were tired, people were weary, they were worn out, but the challenges hadn't fundamentally changed. The only thing that was easier was partnership because the (laughs) veil had been pulled back and everybody knew we have to collaborate, we have to partner to do the work well. So that would be the first thing that I'd note. The second thing is that individuals who have been doing this work and doing it well have actually developed the structure to guide their work. When I actually identified this structure as a hub, which I think is this novel organizational form that supports the type of collaboration, the type of community that is required to do this work well. And I'll give a quick shout out to the two organizations that were the principal anchors for this work, our friends at the Parish Collective and the Office of Church Engagement. They've been doing remarkable work for a long time. There's masters in the craft of partnership, masters in the craft of community, and they've piloted this novel organizational form that is taking place in very different sectors of Christianity. So the emergence of this novel form, I think, is another striking thing. The third thing that emerged is that there are leaders of various kinds who are partnering together in complementary ways. It's not just the senior pastors Mm. who are leading and supporting this type of adaptive change. It's lay leaders. It's neighborhood pastors. It's local leaders. There's this move, I think, beyond the pastor-centric mode to the congregational-centric mode of religious leadership. Mm -hmm. And as a result, part of what the work does is it tries to offer a theological paradigm for the structure that can guide collaboration, leadership, and community for a new age. Yeah, all of that is so intriguing for so many reasons. First of all, I just want to note for listeners, you may recognize the reference to the Parish Collective. And if you go back through our archives, you can find a podcast interview with Tim Sorens at the Parish Collective. And Tim's a great partner of ours. So I simply want to reference that. And um, a lot of great Pacific Northwest Cascadia folks that we've worked with over the years. So I, I love the fact that you've invested in that region because there is 
so much to learn. Another thing you said that really stood out to me that affirms a lot of what we've been seeing and wondering about the past few years is how the church structure and staff structures are changing. Mm -hmm. And the result being that the assumed relationships between position, authority, influence have all been juggled around quite a bit. So a lot of the cohorts we work with include a really wild mix of associate pastors and lay leaders and other folks like that. And Mm -hmm. it's not really who you think has the most pull in a church or a community that really does. Now, Mm. that doesn't mean that those things don't matter, but I'm simply confirming what you said. On the ground for us, that's the same thing. Uh, What you're seeing in your study is also what's played out with our uh, cohort programs over the last four Mm. or five years. Mm, that's wonderful. That's striking, Adam, because you know one of the reasons the, the Pacific Northwest was of such great interest to me is that research suggests that the Pacific Northwest is kind of this future trending context mm-hmm. that many uh, sociologists and scholars of religion suggest it's a laboratory to learn where religion in North America is going. Although I wasn't able to cover you know the entire North American context, it's striking to hear from you that there's a lot of resonance in your national work with what's happening in the Pacific Northwest. That's fantastic. I love yeah, it really is. Not least in larger cities like Atlanta, we're seeing this just full throttle, um, what you're describing. And what's funny is for us, that's happened sort of by accident. We realized, you know, we sure do have a lot of nonprofit directors and associate pastors and youth ministers who are drawn to what we're doing. What do we do with that? Mm. And we said, well, we just attend to it. And what we're learning is what you've just said. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a context in which there's a a drive towards the type of leadership you're describing. And I think it'll be a while before anybody really is able to fully describe why and and how that's the case, but certainly what we're seeing. For those of us who are trying to support this type of work uh, moving into the future, uh, which I think, you know, the Ministry Collaborative is doing fantastic work, that one of the things that I think we want to attend to is the structure that can sustain this Mm -hmm. type of collaborative and innovative work. Because one of the things I saw in my work and my work with leaders and communities across the country is that there's a need to engage in these collaborative partnerships, but they're oftentimes really fragile. Yeah, They're built on trust, you know, particularly if leaders are kind of innovating on the margins of their organization or they're in some type of bivocational work. It's oftentimes really fragile, vulnerable work. So we need to think not just about the importance of collaboration, but the importance of structure that can sustain it. I oftentimes think about structure both as the pot that -hmm. creates the space for new seedlings to grow and also the greenhouse where a broader ecology can form and flourish. So we need to think both at the local level, the particularity of the pot where individuals are growing in mission and ministry, but we also have to think at the broader ecology or the broader system to think about how we can support an environment where multiple different types of leaders can grow, can form, can flourish, and then build those connections that sustain ministry and mission for a new age. What are the characteristics of those pots or greenhouses? Oh, fascinating question. I would say there's a a number of different things. First, they're built on trust. Trust is the essential condition for this type of work to take place. Second, they're rooted in local context and community. Uh, There's a way of thinking about church historically where it's kind of abstracted from context, Mm -hmm. but mission and ministry is always local. It's always contextual. It's rooted in the particulars. So thinking in terms of structure requires rooting these pots and these greenhouses in the locality and the particularity of our places. It cultivates shared language. 
even if there's not necessarily a single mission that drives this collaborative work, uh, if you can cultivate shared language, that can sustain the work moving forward. I also think it's rooted in clear boundaries, both in terms of the duration of the partnership and also the type of fitting relationships that can guide this work. Uh, and all that means is that when we're engaged in this collaborative work, uh, we're not committing our lives to each other for the next 30 years. We're just committing to do the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing. And then fifth and finally, I'd say there's an importance of friendship. Friendship is uh, not necessarily a means to a particular end, it's an end in and of itself. So for people who are masters in this craft of collaborative partnership and structuring work in this way, they're oftentimes experts in the craft of friendship. And you see it play well over time, over decades, they've cultivated this work and cultivated it well. And these collaborations, from what you're saying, I'm gathering that they're not just between local congregations. They're between a lot of different creative efforts. That's right. For That's doing exactly right. ministry, whether it's just a common good or maybe something more specific to the Christian tradition. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And when you begin to look at the ecology for the source of an adaptive church, you begin to recognize that there are people of faith all across the ecology who are engaged in the common good. Uh, they're in the nonprofit space. They're in the educational space. They're in the congregation space. They're in the philanthropy space. Uh, but they're also in the margins in various ways. So one way to think about the Pacific Northwest is it's a secular post-Christian context. Yeah, the whole thing is uh, a margin. Yeah, the whole thing is a margin. <laughs> and, and that's certainly true. But it doesn't mean religious life is any less vital there. Right. There are right, communities right. of faith who are doing wonderful, brilliant work. They're just not always in the spaces you would expect them to be. They're hiding in plain sight. And there's incredible, creative, brilliant, beautiful work that's happening. But you just have to look for it. And I found it in the space between the space of these connections. Dustin, what would you say are the most significant roadblocks or hindrances to this type of collaborative, adaptive ministry work? I would say a few things. First, I think being naive about the time it takes to do this work. Speed can oftentimes be an incredible roadblock and hindrance to this work mm -hmm. because speed inhibits trust. Speed inhibits the type of relational fidelity that's required to do this work. And our collective obsession with speed drives us to have outputs and produce successful ministry. But along the way, we do incredible harm. So I would say first, our collective obsession with speed. I would say second and unwillingness to recognize that along the way there are things that we're going to have to give up and let go. Mm -hmm. If we're going to engage in meaningful collaborative partnership and ministry, it means that some of us have to give up power, give up prestige, give up our comfort with setting the table and inviting other people's into it. But along the way, if we can recognize that we're going to give up power, position, prestige, and gain meaningful partnership, there's a real invitation to, I think, more meaningful, more fruitful, more fulfilling work. And then the final thing is that there can be an unwillingness to take a risk. Stepping in to do this work requires a risk of various kinds, and they'll be different for each community. But if we're unwilling to take that risk, for whatever reason it might be, uh, we, I think, will fail to see the incredible possibilities that exist in this collaborative space together. Dustin, looking ahead, where do you see the Holy Spirit 
at work in all of this? Or where do you see the Holy Spirit at work in the ministries that you paid such close attention to? You know, when I was uh, talking about this work early on, I was in a group of sociologists. I mean, that's where this takes you, all sorts of unexpected spaces. And I was talking about the work and saying that one of the people I talked to say their work is guided by the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's responding to the work of the Holy Spirit. And somebody from the very back of this room, this wonderful sociologist said, excuse me, uh, how generalizable is the Holy Spirit? <laughs> and I just laughed because I said, I'm doing this work as a practical theologian where I want to give the possibility that the Spirit is actually active in these spaces. Mm-hmm. So that's just a way into this question to say, I think that the Spirit is active in the space between and mm-hmm. the space of these connections. Uh, the Spirit of God, as I read uh, the Christian scriptures, is always this boundary-crossing spirit, somebody who is working to build bridges, connections, collaborations, sometimes in unexpected spaces. So I wonder what would it look like to look for the space between as the space where we might encounter the Spirit. The second space I'd like to look for the Spirit is in these local communities. The Spirit is always rooting people in local place and particularity. So what we see, I think, through this work, I think what we see through these organizations, what we see through these remarkable leaders is that the Spirit of God is taking place. It's rooting people in local communities, and it's breathing new life, new possibility, a sense of collaborative possibility from the ground in these unexpected spaces. Dustin Benek, thank you so much for your time. And once again, just want to recommend your upcoming book, just in a few weeks here, Adaptive Church. Thanks again for your conversation and for the hard work you're doing. Thanks so much, Adam. It's great to be here with you. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.